Hey everyone, I'm State Representative Francesca Hong. The month of May is dedicated to recognizing APITA Heritage Month as an important time to celebrate the significant contributions of Asians, Asian Americans, Pacific Islanders, and Desi Americans to the history of Wisconsin. While this is a time of recognition and celebration, it also serves as the time for action. Today is May 7th, and I'm here on some assembly required to talk about representation, legislative action, and maybe some predictions for the League Cup final. This is Some Assembly Required, a podcast hosted by the Wisconsin Assembly Democratic Caucus discussing what's happening in the state capitol and all things Wisconsin. I'm your host, Assembly Democratic Leader Gordon Hintz, representing the 54th Assembly District and the city of Oshkosh. Well, welcome, Representative Hong, uh, to Some Assembly Required. Uh, how's everything going? How are you doing? How are you and your family holding up uh, a year into the pandemic? Uh, thanks so much for having me here, Rep. Hints. Uh, our family, we are doing as well as can be. Things are pretty absurd right now and still challenging, um, but we are grateful to be healthy, um, vaccinated, and the restaurant is getting ready to reopen our patio. And uh, that means that we'll be doing service for the first time in over a year and a half. I was just going to ask you about that. So, I mean, you come to the legislature as a restaurant owner. Um you know, experiencing one of the toughest times, uh, you know, that few industries have been hit harder by the COVID pandemic uh, than restaurants. Uh, how have you dealt with that, you know, given the impact on your employees, on your own life, and and where are things now? You said you're, you're going to be reopening patio service, but, you know, what's the experience been like for the past year? It has been absurd <laughs> our but i have been incredibly grounded in the resiliency of our staff um the restaurant uh, i have a small restaurant morris ramen on king street here in madison and we would not be um who we are or where we are uh without the people that work there um our staff have been incredibly um just creative um, I think it's so hard to be creative when when you're uh, grieving and when things are changing and um, they have been willing to step up to take on different roles um, to adapt uh, that wonderful P word pivot. Um, we've got servers who decided that they were OK doing prep work. And so we were able to transition from uh, you know, sticking to our values of, of you know, work, empowering our workers and really up, trying to uplift our community. And we transitioned into a community kitchen and everyone was able to uh, keep working and we were able to make connections with other organizations and, and really try to get through this um, by leaning on the community. I've been struck by, you know, primarily following you on social media and other places, um, you know, about sort of the can-do attitude or the resiliency, uh, I think that you've demonstrated speaking to many of the issues as they've been ongoing. Um, but I know it's not easy. How's, how's your personal morale right now? And are, are you an optimist? Are you optimistic about a return to normal? And how do you, you know, how do you keep that resiliency going? I'm cautiously hopeful. Um, I am optimistic in that I always do believe in people and their uh, ability to change. If I don't keep that in the back of my mind that we are all capable of change, we are all capable of achieving agency to um, not only empower ourselves, but empower others. Um, 
I can't do the work that I'm doing. And I think the hospitality industry, um, you know, really leading with uh, a sense of service to others um, has, has helped me keep that because um, we've, we've seen kind of the worst in people. I, th- I think folks can really be uh, quite awful in a restaurant setting, but we've also seen the best um, in terms of how folks can, can work together, how folks can serve their communities, how people can come into a job to serve others and, and um, find joy in it and, and find joy in themselves. You know, I'm not going to sugarcoat that this past year, especially for restaurants, um, has been beyond challenging. Um, just this past few months, multiple restaurants owned by Asian Americans, um, I'm sorry, multiple businesses owned by Asian Americans closed in our district. Um, and I'm angry. And I know that we're not doing enough and that we can be better. But I know that I'm not alone in that thinking. And that's what helps kind of drive that cautious hope and that cautious optimism. one of 10 new freshmen in the Assembly Democratic Caucus uh, and really, um, really invigorated things in terms of, uh, you know, the dynamic group um, that came into the legislature that I think is really contributing from the get-go. Um, and you're the first uh, freshman to be featured uh, during the 2021 season of our podcast. Uh, why don't we start a little bit with your journey, because it was certainly historical and meaningful for our state, uh, as you're the only member of the API descent to be serving in the legislature. Uh, do you remember the exact moment that you decided to run for state assembly? No, I do not. I do not remember the exact moment. I don't remember a lot of moments in 2020, to be honest with you. Um, but I do remember different feelings. And I remember feeling grief and pain and lost for more loss than I have been in, in my entire life. Because I didn't know what was going to happen with the business, my family, um, my community. Um, and I, you know, felt completely paralyzed. Um, but I, I think what helped me come out of it and, and realize that um, I needed to step up and, and be a leader was that uh, folks asked, folks were still willing to ask for help. And I knew I, I realized that I wasn't doing that by just sitting in my own, just stewing in my own uh, uh, grief. Um, and, and we started demanding more of leadership. And I realized that I didn't want to just be talking the talk. I needed to walk that walk. If I was really going to demand more of leadership, if I was demanding more for my community, uh, demanding more services for the restaurant industry, more services for the workers, um, that uh, I needed to better understand what that looked like. And so I decided to run. I announced on Mother's Day um, because being a mom is a really big part of my identity. Um, I have a four-year-old son, George, and he is four going on 14, just absolute like negotiator um, and obsessed with with science and and sharks and dinosaurs right now. Um, And I knew that I wanted to make sure the world was was better for him. And that sounds somewhat cliche, but I think because I was so lost, I knew I needed to look in for ways to, to try to help. And um, 
after I decided to run, I realized that there were so many folks who hadn't been represented before, so many people who didn't know what a state legislator did, um, so many folks who had never voted in a local race. Um, and and if, if we're going to, you know, continue to advance democratic ideals, if we're going to continue to try to push for policies that are going to um, help all of our communities thrive, we need to build our bench, which is why I'm not only excited to be, you know, part of this incredibly focused, uh, dynamic, um, strong freshman class, um, I know that it's my job to bring folks along with me. And, and so running really was just about um, engaging those in our community who hadn't been engaged before and, and knowing that representation is not actually enough. It's, it's wonderful that I am the first, but it means nothing if I'm the last uh, when it comes to Asian representation in the legislature. Did the pandemic play a role in your decision to run? I mean, you announced on on Mother's Day, but you know, obviously we were into things. Had you thought about it before then, or or was it somewhat driven by, you know, the crisis that we were in and the need for leadership? It was absolutely driven by the crisis. I think that um, out of collective grief and collective pain can come transformative. Uh, uh, hope and transformative opportunity. Um, there were a lot of people who realized that what was going on was not okay, that we were not okay, um, and that we needed strong leadership to really help, um, you know, not look at just kind of individual problems, but systemic problems. And um, again, I think when I think about representation and why that's important, um, I, I realized that you know, I, I had an opportunity to not only represent the Asian American community, but the service industry community, the worker community, the small business community, um, that there are a lot of things that tie all those communities together. And, and it's not my job necessarily to be their voice, uh, but to amplify a lot of those voices. And if it wasn't for COVID-19, um, I really wouldn't have started making a lot of those connections. And I think um, it was important to know that and to show folks that that out of times of crises, we can find opportunities to, to maybe address some of the bigger issues that we have with solutions that are a lot more comprehensive when it comes to helping our communities. Can you uh, discuss the importance of uh, Asian Pacific Islander Desi American uh, Heritage Month and you know why is it important, especially now more than ever? I think because we have not always been a visible group. I think that um, you have a couple different things coming into play. Um, the model minority myth, which I know is, is part of the narrative right now, and that um, assimilation, um, where, where Asian Americans assimilate more into um, uh, you know, being more a part of white culture to, to make sure that we are the model Americans, that we climb the economic and social ladders uh, to, to achieve and, and then kind of, you know, blend in um, really takes away from how diverse our communities are and how diverse the needs of our communities are. Um, when we talk about disaggregating data, that we make sure that what's needed in, in the Asian American community is, is um, you know, much more educational opportunities for, for all of our um, all of those in the Asian American communities. Um, and there's, there's been a lack of Asian American history that's taught in our schools, that's taught in higher ed. And, and what that does is it minimizes us to, and, and kind of others us into fit into certain boxes. Um, and it takes away from how 
the, the diaspora of, of, of Asian Americans and, and how not only are we diverse in, in our ethnic identities, but we're diverse in that, you know, there are conversations to be had about the identity of, of those who are adopted and Asian American, um, those in uh, especially women in, in working class. Um, you know, all of these different identities and experiences are, are part of a broader systemic problem uh, of racism. And I think that you know, when we, unless we recognize a specific month to, uh, um, to really highlight how diverse our community is, um, oftentimes we, we just kind of get glossed over, we get missed. And um, I think it's really important to, to highlight all of our contributions as well. Uh, you mentioned, you know, model behavior and assimilation. Um, I mean, do you think that's the one of the, the, the primary, you know, reason why um, it, it's the, the racism is more subtle or less overt or um, has received less attention? Yeah, I mean, if you if you talk about um, if, if you look at microaggressions, right, I think with a lot of times um, Asian Americans aren't really even sure if what they're experiencing is racism. So many of us are dealing with imposter syndrome of wondering if, if we're supposed to be taking up spaces, whether it's be in government or at the corporate level um, or, or, you know, in different leadership positions, um, be, because there are different stereotypes that really shape, um, you know, people's uh, opinions of us before they even get to know us. Um, and on top of that, I think some folks don't recognize that it gets very difficult to center ourselves in conversations when we're forced to have what, what I, I, like, I like to call projected cultural experiences, right? Where, where someone wants to talk to you solely about your ethnic or, or your uh, racial background um, as a way to connect with you without recognizing or even asking if that's what you want to talk about. Um, I, I use this a lot where, you know, folks will tell me like, I think it's really great that that your daughter-in-law is Korean. That's fantastic. And then it jumps right into everything that you know or have to say about a country that you may not even ask, you know, what my relationship is to it. And I think some of that is stemming from, again, just this thought of, of you know, Asian Americans being the model minority. They're all our friends. And um, is, is, that can be really harmful because, again, it doesn't allow us to share our stories, our experiences through our lens. Um, it's being it's being taught in schools through more of a white lens. Um, it's you know, and then right now, as as much as I appreciate all of the narratives and the dialogue around um, the how API hate is not new that it's existed for you know since folks came here in the early 1800s. Um, what what happens is we're not always talking about, you know, the most vulnerable in our communities, because you've got celebrities and folks talking about, you know, the racism of the, the horrific violence of, of, you know, folks being our elders being attacked in the streets and, and people getting acid thrown in their face. And it's 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 absolutely horrendous and we should all be condemning it but we also need to recognize that this is a systemic problem um, and that um, if we don't build kind of that solidarity uh, amongst communities of color to, to stand up against um, racism and and really look towards our white allies to be in solidarity with us we won't ever find the solutions that we need um, to make sure our communities are protected we do seem, and unfortunately, given a number of the examples you gave to uh, just now, to be to be having a moment um, where uh, perhaps you know systemic racism bias, some of the um, cultural assumptions made, uh, maybe that have always been there, um, 
you know, certainly haven't manifested themselves in sort of some, some of the horrible public incidents that, that seem to be driving a lot of attention. Um, why should everyone, I mean, namely uh, people from non-AAPI uh, communities, I mean, care, uh, you know, about observing this month and, and really recognizing uh, longstanding and immediate uh, race, cultural racism um, towards Asian Americans? I think we have to care about our most vulnerable to be able to thrive in our own lives. I think that it it um, we have to reach out to our neighbors and better understand their experiences so that we can make our community stronger. I know it sounds somewhat vague, but it, it's how you see your neighbors um, really does drive their experience as well, because I think there's a lot of, you know, personal conversations or, or small, you know, the, the way people think, the way people um, view Asian Americans. Uh, we, I don't think these, those experiences are always, um, I, I don't think the way people think about us is, is, um, is, is diverse. And if, if we don't care about the, you know, the experience of folks who are living, if we don't care about the experience of our neighbors through their lens, we're just going to continue to perpetuate a lot of the behaviors and, and, and learn um, behaviors that, that aren't going to um, help uh, the rest of the communities do better. Um, I think building outreach, building power, building a bench, we talk about that a lot in, in, in our caucuses. Um, there are a lot of folks who want to be engaged, who want to know and, and maybe run for office someday. And if we don't engage with these communities now and let them know that we care and, and just only come around when it's election time, um, we really lose an opportunity to, to um, recognize talents and recognize resources and recognize what these people can be contributing when it comes to um, you know uh, the political sphere and, and also just the greater community. I don't think that we do well um, if we leave anyone behind. Um, and, and really, this is, if, if we continue to just be bystanders, if we continue to perpetuate the fear and hate um, that, you know, those who don't look like us, those who don't love like us, those do, who don't um, believe in, in the same things that we do, um, it's, it's really just an unfortunate missed opportunity to, to, to build power within our communities that, that really, um, you know, make communities better. And I think that if, um, if we really care about building a bigger bench, if we care about um, making sure that our um, folks in the community um, know that people are fighting for them, um, we, we have to make sure to reach out to uh, the API community and we have to make sure that, um, you know, we, we bring them along when it comes to taking back uh, this state to make sure that it's progressive and that it no longer is uh, the most segregated state. It no longer is the state where we have horrendous um, uh, disparities when it comes to uh, health uh, uh, in communities of color. Um, we, we can't do that if we leave folks behind. And so I think it's really important that we continue to invest in outreach and, and make sure that um, our communities, especially in the API community, feel seen. I've noticed that you've been making your way 
um, across the state speaking out in support of resolutions, uh, in support of APIA uh, or resolutions condemning racism uh, towards uh, Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. What, what's the response been? I mean, you've been in, uh, you've not been in Madison. I've seen you've been, you know, in a number of communities where maybe it wasn't at the forefront or it was more on their TV screen. Uh, you know, what have you been hearing engaging, you know, citizens from all around Wisconsin? Um, I think a lot of API communities feel isolated. Um, a lot of folks within those communities haven't talked about racial violence before, um, or if they have, they've kind of just internalized it. And, and, and there's somewhat some cultural stigma as well about talking about racial identity. Um, and, and so for, for folks, you know, for the first time, they're feeling scared. They felt like they were, you know, it, for a while, it was like, trying to fit in and assimilating, um, you know, not really talking about your identity was a way to protect yourself. But we've learned that really, you know, proximity to whiteness does not protect you at all times. Um, I'm hearing that uh, people are, you know, something that is as seems to be um, very, uh, you know, should make sense that we should condemn hate, that we should condemn xenophobia and racism. Um, they're getting pushback from leadership at council and county levels um, that this is the type of resolution that is divisive. It's, it's you know, it's we're playing um, identity politics. Um, and, and really, it's that's that's poor policy. I think what it does is is if you're not working to make your spaces more inclusive and safer for more people, um, it's it's bad economic policy. It's it really doesn't allow folks to want to invest in communities, and you're going to see resources continue to get deprived. And so folks are confused, but folks are also really, you know, feeling like they are now, you know. There, as Asian Americans, because our communities were so diverse, we're, we're realizing that we have to reach out not only within our communities, but to other communities of color and other allies uh, to say that, you know, we're not alone in, in saying that um, we are condemning this violence. So I would say, you know, going to a couple different places around the state, um, there is, uh, there isn't a there is fear, but there's also um, solidarity and folks are recognizing if you don't have that solidarity, we don't work towards solutions. You know, Asian Americans make up 4% of the state, but we're the third home to the third largest Hmong community in the nation. Um, and, I, you know, even I hate using the broad brush of Asian Americans, given how distinct, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the makeup of that is. Uh, are we seeing growing representation and political power? I mean, I think about, um, you know, we've seen judges, local elected officials, and now Francesca Hong making her way up. Um, you know, there's a, there's a burden that comes with being, you know, the elective face, especially um, when there is such distinction between different groups, um, mm -hmm. you know, but, but are, are we seeing the rise of engagement, participation, and, uh, you know, solidarity in the Asian American community in Wisconsin? We are. And, you know, I was fortunate to be able to join the API Coalition of Wisconsin um, early this past year. And what I saw was that across this state, um, folks are recognizing that it's the diversity in our communities that can often seem like more of a challenge, right? Um, you have different needs, but 
the vision for what we want for our communities in the end is actually aligned with a lot of communities of color. We want folks to be as healthy as possible. We want folks to have agency to get financial security. We want folks to be able to live free of discrimination and, and hate and, and um, be able to walk around um, being their most authentic self. Um, how we get there is going to take a lot of work because our needs are so very different. Um, but I think, you know, because opportunity and hope can come out of crisis, the API community is, is really coming together and being very mindful about what that means. Um, just yesterday, we were talking about how we can be supportive of the different resolutions that are coming up across different cities in the state, looking at the language, trying to figure out if, if you know, um, when and where folks are going into communities, because uh, we want to make sure that, you know, the leaders in those communities do know their communities best. We want to give them that credit and that um, that background. And, and I think it's it's really amazing to be a part of a, of a group that recognizes that it's important that we let um, those neighborhood and communities and organization leaders lead, um, that, that we're here to, to be supportive of them, but there isn't this you know, savior complex of going in and trying to just rally folks without really recognizing what those communities need first. And so it's a very thoughtful leadership and it's a very, um, I, I'm very appreciative of the fact that, you know, the communities are finally able to organize more um, and that our allies recognize that there are, you know, not always resources that we have access to when it comes to organizing um, and that, you know, we're, we're, they're, they're sharing more information about how to engage with folks. And I think, um, you know, there's, I'm, I'm seeing a lot of good pathways to trying to build solutions to, to address a lot of the issues that are in the communities. pivot a little bit to your experience as a legislature legislator and I'll preface this by saying uh, Francesca nothing has been normal uh, <laughs> about the experience so um, I hope that we get back to some normalcy because it is a very social interactive um, position normally but uh, it's been almost four months what, what are, what's your favorite part of being a legislator so far? I think my favorite part uh, about being a legislator so far is still community engagement. Um, I love to pick up the phone. Um, I really enjoy taking constituent calls. Um, I, I learn from people in the community. I'm not used to working on a computer and I am not well-versed in Outlook. And so for me, being out in the community, talking to people is absolutely my favorite part. What part of the job is least like you thought it would be or surprised you the most? Again, with, with how absurd things have been this past year, I am, I am not slighted or surprised <laughs> a lot anymore um, because, you know, my mentality, I think this also comes from my background of being in hospitality of just, you know, it's, it's you always make it work. Um, but I would say what surprised me is that I've had some really good conversations with staffers um, from uh, of those working for folks across the aisle. Um, and there are, you know, I assumed with with how um, vocal I was prior to coming into office um, that you know, folks would shun me and then the, the liberal from the 76, but I've had some really, really, um, you know, good conversations with Republicans. Um, and that has probably been the biggest surprise. 
Uh, tell us about your district. What's unique uh, about the 76th uh, Assembly District? You're in a bigger metro area, but you know what's distinct about you know the east side of Madison? Yeah, so we, um, the 76, about six and a half miles uh, that we cover, it's about 75% renter occupied. Um, and the median age is 24. And obviously we have the universities, two universities, actually part of three um, that the district covers, uh, which, which um, uh, accounts for that, that younger medium age. Um, but we also have, you know, almost 37% that fall below the poverty line. And so the, the needs, again, it's a very diverse district in terms of, of what the needs are. Um, we have a pretty big income gap um, but I would say that uh, it's it's the people are trying to work together, and um, I really enjoy the challenge of representing you know so many diverse folks and not just in terms of racial or ethnic backgrounds, but we've got business owners, we've got school teachers, we've got students, we've got retirees. Um, it's, it's, it's a mix of everyone, and I think that's what makes this district most unique and actually really strong. Uh, what kind of, you know, beyond a lot of the advocacy work and uh, that we've discussed, you know, what kind of projects are you working on, you know, in your office and, and what are you hoping to, you know, push or accomplish this session? Yeah, I would I would say that um, the folks uh, advocating for their communities or, you know, sometimes individual needs do fall into kind of the same category. I talked about how diverse the, the um, district is, but I would say the majority of the calls that we're answering um, are not always uh you know, from folks who are really struggling. And so, but we know that they are. Um, and, and so I think the biggest project we're working on, and this will obviously become easier once um, we're, we have more folks vaccinated and, and COVID um, is, is not so prevalent um, in our, in our uh, community, is, is really trying to figure out where the folks are who aren't able to reach our office and making sure that we become more accessible to them. Um, another project where, you know, we've got um, different policies that we're working on, um, housing and uh, climate justice is definitely the, the two priorities. Um, and then in addition to that would be, um, you know, the, those folks who voted for the first time, those who engage uh, to keep those folks engaged and make sure that uh, the organizers and, and community leaders, um, you know, can utilize this office to help amplify um, what they're fighting for. One of the other things that I've noticed, and, and you really wear it, because how can you not? It's been your experience uh, and your livelihood over over the past year. But, um, you know, you're a small business owner. Uh, how do Democrats better appeal to small business owners like yourself, many that sort of have long believed or adhered to the idea that Republicans are better for business? I think as, as a progressive business owner, um, I know that I can work collaboratively with the government. I know that for my employees, having health care for them is going to make in having, you know, worker focused policy is going to be more sustainable for the business. I like to look at, you know, the bigger picture and long term. Um, I think that it's difficult sometimes to do that, especially in the restaurant industry, because a lot of times, you know, folks will tell you our 
our reality is, is paycheck to paycheck. But I know that we've survived as long as we have because we've had low turnover in labor, because we're um, very uh, uh, open about our identity and, and, and where we stand for in our values. And so I think with more business owners, you, you meet them at the fact that we do have a lot of the same values. We, we want better for our workers and we don't, we want lower turnover and we want to make sure that um, we're giving uh, 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 customers the best experience. And, and that's only going to happen if, if we as business owners um, uh, uh, show our, our values. And I think a lot of values that Democrats and business owners um, have do align. And I think um, it's important to make sure that we uh, engage with those progressive business owners who know that, um, you know, there's, there are are systemic issues that we need to address that's going to help business. I think if we if we really work towards meeting those and and, rec- and highlighting the progressive business owners that exist and, and see that long-term work and empowering workers, um, we're, we're going to have be much more successful and appealing to small business, which again, they're the true backbone of any local economy. And um, we know that small business versus big business, we, we want small business to win. Let's pivot to uh, we'll wear our grumpy pundit hats here. I know that you are a Tottenham Hotspur fan. I don't know if you had a chance to watch the League Cup final over the weekend. Um, thoughts on the results? Heartbreaking. Um, you know, I'm a Tottenham, I, I have to admit, I'm a Tottenham bandwagon fan. I'm mostly a Son Heung Min um, uh, super fan. So, you know, I've, I haven't uh, been as loyal to the club um, before he was on. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to uh, new leadership. I think it was the right move to get rid of Jose Mourinho. Um, and I think that with the, the five games, four or five games we have left, um, you know, we're I, I like that the players have a little bit more empowerment. I think they're going to have more freedom to play. And I think that's going to actually uh, turn out better for the club. My, my, my brother has a Spurs tattoo and uh, we've made the pilgrimage to the old stadium. Um, I was going to ask you, I mean, uh, would you blame ownership or do you blame uh, Josie Mourinho for the uh, shortcomings this season? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, honestly, I, I think Mourinho's he makes some like wild substitution decisions um, mid and late game that I, I, you know, kind of worry about. And I think also he wasn't um, very smart about the um, like, just, it's not like Sonny and Harry Kane are the youngest players. And I feel like they were sometimes overused in games when they maybe shouldn't have been. And so I think there were a lot of logistical things that could have been different. Um, But in the end, it's both Daniel and, and uh, Josie that, that I think made mistakes. What's been the bigger disappointment this season, uh, Gareth Bale or Dele Alli? Oh, I mean, Bale just like picks and chooses when he wants to show up and like try. Um, So it's probably Gareth Bale. For a bandwagon Spurs fan, I, uh, you're not missing a whole lot of detail. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't include a brief discussion on the 2021 Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, you know, the Bucks have a big three, but their bench is a little sketchy with okay. C leading the way. How do the playoffs look to you? Is With less pressure, do you think there could be more success? You know, I have been impressed with uh, Bobby Portis's performance these past couple of games. And um, I think that 
maybe if if Pat, you know, focused less on his real estate development, he could uh, be a little bit more consistent in his play. Um, but I believe that, you know, Drew, Chris, and, and Giannis, their leadership is going to get us through. Um, I wish, you know, Brooklyn wasn't hoarding all of the wealth and players, and then we had a better chance to, to come out of uh, the, 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 the standings. But I'm, I'm going to stay cautiously optimistic about the Bucks. And, and um, for me, I will always believe in Giannis, so he'll, he'll carry us through. I'm, I'm hoping for the best. I'm hoping they, uh, you know, maybe a little less pressure given uh, the other teams that are there. All right. Well, now we're moving into the speed round category. I'm okay. to answer the question, not elaborate too much, but um, so we'll start with some easy ones. Uh, what was your first car? Toyota Corolla. Do you have a year on that? 98. Okay. It's a nice car. Uh, do you have a coffee order? And if so, what is it? If it's not a red eye, oh, it's, I'm really embarrassed by this. It is a uh, <laughs> dirty chai with oat milk. Dirty chai with oat milk. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the worst job you've ever had? Oh. All of my jobs have been in hospitality and I've loved them all. Ah, uh, wait. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your biggest irrational fear? There's so many fears right now, Gordon. <laughs> I know. Which one right is irrational? I think I, yeah, that uh, made me a post-pandemic question. <laughs> um, what's your best karaoke song? Uh, I Will Survive by Gloria Nick. Okay. What do you think uh, the most underrated or an underrated part of Madison is? Maybe something that doesn't get enough attention. Um, the music. There's a really amazing local music and local art scene, especially with the university and then um, uh, smaller clubs and young people who are playing um, and recording right now. What are you reading at the moment or read recently? I am currently reading, what is it? Oh, Just Us, Just Us. Um, What are you watching right now? Or what's the best thing you've watched during the pandemic? I'm currently watching um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Okay. Farmer's Market or Concerts on the Square? Farmer's Market. State Fair or Summerfest? Summerfest. Best way to make ramen? Slowly. First record or album that you owned? Oh, I think it was Backstreet Boys. Okay, yeah, this one's usually, usually <laughs> not what you wanted it to be. There's no way to be cool on that one. Oh, no. no. We appreciate authenticity here on Some Assembly Required. Uh, what's your go-to session day snack? Like that last session day, that was pretty long for you guys. What'd you go to? Um, Cheez-Its. Pre, do you have a pre-session hype song? You know, something on the way in when you know, you know you're gonna need a little juice? Um, I think Beyonce. Okay. Twitter or Instagram? Twitter. Most used app on your phone? Email, Gmail. <laughs> Favorite book to read to your son? Um, Kamala and Maya's Big Idea. Um, do you have a favorite secret band or music that is a guilty pleasure or should I just assume it's Backstreet Boys (laughs) it's not Backstreet Boys Um, I mean I love old country like 
I, I really do. I think um, Highwaymen and, uh, you know, well, I'm also a big Dolly Parton fan, but I'm, I'm a fan of the old country. Um, Taco Bell or Taco John's? Neither. What's your favorite fast food then? Culver's. <laughs> Should pizza be cut in squares or triangle slices? Squares. Uh, what is the most overlooked ingredient out there when we're cooking? This will be your one cooking tip because we'll have to do a separate show on that. Eggs. Eggs. Fashionable or comfortable? Comfortable. You've passed. Well, this is it for this episode of Some Assembly Required. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at AssemblyDemsWI. That's AssemblyDemsWI. I want to give a special thank you to our guest, Representative Francesca Hong from the 76th Assembly District. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Some Assembly Required will be back next time. And until then, this is Assembly Democratic Leader Gordon Hintz.